0: Hello, Door Creek Church. I want you to meet some friends, Brian and Jen Gabriels. Brian and Jen kind of walked through the front doors of this place about the same time Lori and I and our kids came here, and I wanted you to meet them because they're people that I think of that have gotten plugged in to places of service, and that's been our focus here these last couple of weeks, and I want people to know how that happened. So what was it like? I remember what it was like for us coming through here, new place. What was it like for you guys?
1: It was scary, actually, because uh, when we walked in here the first Sunday, and that was just two years ago uh, after Labor Day weekend we started coming here, we walked in the door and and attended the worship service. It was awesome. And we walked back out and weren't sure, like, how are we ever going to meet people here? And so we decided that, uh, that we would come back the next Sunday and we would walk through the activity center and take a look around and try and meet some people. And so we did that, and that was scary, and we did meet some old friends of ours and and so forth. But then the next Sunday we decided to make it two laps and walk through a couple times. And and we just kind of figured that if we were really going to create relationships within the church and get to know people and get to understand what this ministry was all about, we were going to have to take it. To the next
0: step. So Jen, what were some of those next steps? What happened?
1: The next step for me was stepping out of my own comfort zone. And um, I started attending the women's ministries on Thursday nights. And um, for me, it was a little awkward and intimidating. I didn't know many women there, maybe two, um, but it, w- it was a good thing for me to do. And um, that was the first step for me was the women's ministry. So then Jen said to me, she said, "Well, if I'm going to go to the women's ministry, maybe you should, you know, try out this men's fraternity thing." And so I kind of thought about that, and and uh, I thought Pastor Bob was a pretty neat guy, and and so I went on a Thursday, early Thursday morning, uh, and 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 decided to try it. And they made it very easy for us to integrate into the group, and uh, and I liked it so much that the next year I decided to be a table leader, and much like Jen and. And uh, so then we decided that well if we wanted to take the relationships a bit further we would have to maybe do this thing called home groups and we we were in a home group uh, you know before in our other church and but we didn't really understand what they were all about here and and so we went to the quick connect and and got hooked up with four or five other couples and and got involved in a home group and that's just been wonderful and we have enjoyed that so much that Sue asked us to uh, be a part of the home groups triad. Uh, to help with the ministry and we really believe that if you if you have a relationship within this church or relationships within this church you know that that that's a great way to um deepen your understanding what door creek is all about but also become a part of it and and uh, become a part of this ministry yeah so thinking about someone who maybe they're here two months maybe they're two years 20 years what would you
0: say to them, jan in terms of stepping off the curb and getting get involved in service
1: just take the initiative um, and decide to do something. Uh, Door Creek makes it very easy to become involved. Um, they want you to be comfortable in the position you're serving in. If it doesn't work for you, try something else. Um, it, it was extremely easy for me to get involved because I knew I wasn't stuck in a position right. for a long time. I could change if that wasn't what I was enjoying. What would you add, Brian? I think that, you know, it's, you know, I could say that it's it's a part of our service back to the kingdom, but... I think deeper than that it's it's part of being a, a community that serves together that works together to to uh, you know make this place a better place uh, you know for for reaching others yeah. and uh, um, but also the byproduct is you get to meet a lot of really really neat people that have the same um, you know kind of desires as you do to to deepen the relationship with God. So it's your turn if you
0: haven't found that place of service, and the easiest next step is head out in the atrium after service and see where the different opportunities are to serve here at Door Creek, and, you know, take that next step in the initiative and let us know how we can help you find a meaningful place of service. Good morning. Any guests here, my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here and it's good to be together and um, wow, fall literally blew in in a couple of hours this week. We went from summer to fall and here we are. And I want to talk to you this morning about buried treasure. So what do you think of when you uh, hear those words buried treasure? You think of pirates? You think of Jacques Cousteau? Kids, ask your parents who that guy is. Do you think of Indian heads buried in the backyard? What do you think of? What kind of emotions? I I think for a lot of us, it's kind of exciting. Is it buried treasure? adrenaline starts flowing. You know, it's cool stuff. And buried in my emails, I think there was some treasure, at least, it appeared to at first glance. I I got this email that said, congratulations, your email address has been attached to this serial number, and you're the winner of 750,000 euros. Some of you got that email too this week. And all we need is a little contact information. They didn't ask for my bank routing number yet, but I figured that would be a next step. No, I didn't answer the email. Um, Actually, maybe you've not thought about this, but the Bible talks about buried treasure. And when you run into a lot of these uh, stories, the emotion isn't one of excitement and joy. It's kind of like scary stuff. I mean, I think it was really scary for Joseph's brothers when they opened up their sacks when they got home and they found buried in their sacks all the silver that they had paid for all this grain that they brought back. In the second trip, when, when the, the servants of, of Joseph and Pharaoh hunted him down and said, hey, we think one of your guys stole one of Pharaoh's cups." We didn't steal any of his cups. Well, let's check it out. And all of a sudden, Benjamin opened his sack and buried there in his sack was the silver goblet and they thought it was over for them. And then there's the story of Achan. Maybe you don't know the story of Achan. It's a part of God's history right after um, Joseph and the people of God move into Egypt. They spend 400 years there. The great exodus, they're moving out. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're moving into this promised land. They go to this walled city, Jericho, and God tells them to walk around it for a bunch of days. And finally, on the last day, they walk around it seven times. The, the trumpets blow. They shout, and the walls come a-tumbling down. Remember that? And the deal was, God said, everything that's in that city is to be devoted to me. Don't take any of it for your own. But Achan, he saw like this Babylonian tunic. said, man, that is a good looking robe. I'd look great in that robe, and I don't think we really should burn this nice robe. And then there was that wedge of silver he found. He said, boy, I'd be ashamed to throw that in the fire, you know. I think I'll just take it home. And he took it to his tent, and he buried it. And the story of that is, it didn't go well for Achan. And all that he had, including his wife and his kids and his cattle and livestock, all were stoned to death, and he's buried under a pile of rubble. Scary stuff. There's another one of these stories where it kind of gives you a little different emotion. In fact, it's the story we're going to look at today. So grab your Bible. Look at Matthew 25, page 702. If you forgot your Bible, don't have a Bible, grab the one from the seat rack in front of you. And if you're a guest and interested in learning more about God, you should just know this. Those Bibles are there. If you don't have a Bible, just take it home if you want to learn more, okay? So turn to Matthew chapter 25, page 702. Now, as you're going there, let me kind of set the stage. Where are we at here in God's Word? We're obviously in a gospel. We're at the end of the gospel. It's at this point in time where Jesus is wrapping up his teaching right before he dies To his disciples, and the conversation has everything to do with Jesus, when are you coming back? You've talked about leaving, when are you coming back? And basically, Jesus tells them a bunch of stories that said a little bit about when. And basically, what he said about when is, you don't know when. The deal is, be ready for when I'm coming back. And here's what it looks like to be ready, to be prepared. And this is one of several stories that Jesus told in his teachings to his disciples, who wanted to know what does it mean to be prepared for the king's return? Okay? So, follow along with me as I read it. Verse fourteen. Again it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the, uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You've been faithful with a few things. "'I'll put you in charge of many things. "'Come and share in your master's happiness.'" The man with the two talents also came. "'Master,' he said, "'you entrusted me with two talents. "'See, I've gained two more.'" His master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. "'You've been faithful with a few things. "'I'll put you in charge of many things. "'Come and share your master's happiness.'" Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you would not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belonged to you. The master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed? Well then, You should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, Buried treasure. We get excited about finding buried treasure. And all of a sudden we find out that there's all kinds of stories of buried treasure that don't go so well for these people. And this guy's really different from Achan. I don't know if you caught it. You know, Achan buried the treasure, and that treasure was treasure he stole ultimately from whom? From God. Now, this servant, though, buried the treasure that was given to him by the master. Who in this story represents God? He didn't steal something from God. He took what God had given him, the Master had given him, and he buried it. And it didn't go so well for him and for anyone who would bury God's treasure. And so, a kind of a really big question at the start of this message is: Is there any buried treasure in our life, in your life? I mean this is something that Jesus wanted to talk to his disciples about when they were so consumed about when 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 he said don't so get so caught up with the times and the dates be sure that you're prepared for that day and this is the one who's prepared the one who doesn't bury his talent so the flow is this you've got entrusted talents the test of preparation. Then you've got these guys who are investing their talents and the joy of being prepared. And, and then there's this buried treasure thing, the, the buried talents and the anguish of being unprepared. So we go down first to verse 14 and following, we see that each of the servants are given talents. One gets five, one gets two, one gets one. It's all part of the estate And this talent is really a measure of weight. So depending on whether it's measuring silver or gold would depend on the worth. Maybe in your NIV Bible you see a a note that says, worth more than $1,000. Well, let me say, worth more than, a lot more than $1,000. New Testament scholars like Don Carson would say, a talent was the equivalent of 6,000 denarius. That would take a day labor 20 years to earn. We're talking about a lot of money. These talents. And the master gave them according to their ability, what they could handle. And although it's not explicitly stated, the understanding from the context is they were expected to use those talents for the master's benefit, to to expand the investment and to expand the wealth of his estate. And so off the three servants went, each putting in effort, but not all the effort moving in the same way. Some of them are investing it, and one is bearing it. So the question is, well, what exactly is this talent? For them, it had to do with some money, some property, some, some goods like that. What are the talents that God, our master, has given us? And, and the answer is, it's all the things that he's entrusted to us, that he's given to us, For the purpose of growing, expanding the boundaries of his kingdom. Look down at, at verse 14 when it says, Again, it will be like a man. The it is referring back to 25 verse 1, the kingdom of heaven. And, and this kingdom of heaven, or sometimes it's referred to as the kingdom of God, is kind of this phrase that for us Americans, it's like, we don't really traffic in that anymore. We're not used to kings and queens and kingdoms. When you come across it, and you do a lot of times in the Bible, especially like in a guy like Matthew's gospel, a lot of talk about the kingdom. Think about this. When the Bible talks about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, think about a king and think about a rule, a reign, That's not, Jesus said, of this world. It's here now, but it's still to come. And because it's not of this world, it's spiritual. It's actually something that exists spiritually in people's hearts. And this kingdom is growing like that mustard seed. It's expanding as more and more people are recognizing that Jesus is the king who rules over everything, including my own life. And then anything that God has given us, like our time, like our talents, like our money, like relationships, like the gospel, like spiritual gifts, all those things are the talents that he's given us that he wants us to leverage and invest and multiply that his kingdom would grow in people's lives. I I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about when we keep going back to the mission at Door Creek, changing lives to change the world. It's all the stuff that God would give you to change someone's life, to know God, to follow God, to grow, to be like his son, Jesus Christ. That's what a talent is. And and he makes it clear in the story that everyone gets it. Everyone, the faithful servants, the unfaithful, the followers of God, those who don't follow God. We've all been given these things to serve the master, God himself. But we note in particular as you go down to verse 19 and following that just two invested the talents. The one with five, put it to work. Worked hard. Don't know all that he did. It's not important. We just know there's five more. When the master surprisingly, unexpectedly returns after a long time. That's an important point. Jesus is saying, you want to know when I'm coming back? It's going to be after a long time like this, this guy in the story, the master. It was after a long time that the master come back. In the meantime, we're to be busy investing these things and growing these things. The guy with five, he's ready. He was surprised, but he was ready. The guy with two, he was ready. And we read that when they present it to the master, he has these beautiful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Words of affirmation, words of approval, words of praise. And you know what? I don't care who you are, wherever you are in life, we're wired for that. We're wired for that. That's why as kids, um, it was hard if we grew up where we didn't ever feel like we got it. Like, you remember, there was never a report card that we brought home that was good enough. There's always something wrong. We just longed for that, for dad, for mom, to say, man, I'm proud of you. You're doing a great job. Maybe parents, it's time to change the paradigm when it comes to report cards, when it comes to bringing up our kids. It's really important. Our kids need to know that. But well, boy, we, we long for that. And, you know, as we get involved, students, in, in, in athletics, or we continue on with their music lessons for, for our coach or for our teacher to, to, to let us know that it's going well. We, we, we need it on our jobs, what we needed in our marriages. And we long for that. For a mom to say to the, to the young mom, the new mom, you're doing a great job. And, and that's what they got. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. Come and share in your master's happiness. Words of praise. Words of approval. To those who were obedient. To those who were faithful. He didn't say you've been successful. He didn't say, man, you are good, you're intelligent, you're really smart. He didn't say, I'm giving you this because you're a hard worker. You've been faithful. And What is required of a servant of God, Paul says, to be found faithful. And faithful here is taking what God's given us and using it to grow his purposes in this world, in hearts and lives of people. And so they've been faithful for a little, and now the words of praise move to promotion. Hey, I'm gonna, you've been faithful over this a little bit, and I'm going to put you in charge of a lot more. And, and then there's one last thing. It's, it's the high point of the reward. He doesn't just offer words of praise or, or a promotion, but the master offers himself. And he says, hey, enter into my happiness. Come into this relationship. It's the joy that we have when we're invited to a wedding. And why are we invited? Because we know somebody We know the groom. We know his family. We know the bride. We know her family. And we're there because of a relationship. And we enter into the joy of that celebration. And so at the end of this, we see that the high point of reward is the master himself. A relationship marked by joy. these faithful servants show us the way. The master's gracious reward motivates the follower of Christ to invest all that's been entrusted to us that we might know the joy of being prepared, the joy of hearing, well done. But that just sets up this huge contrast with the guy, the third servant. So look down at verse 24, and let's notice this guy who buries his talents and he was completely unprepared for the master's return. And I have to say that what happens next is is a shocking surprise. Not just for us, but undoubtedly for the third servant. It reminds me of my friend Bob who was a very successful banker in Chicago. He he had long moved from branch president. He was now overseeing big divisions within the bank and everywhere he was going, he was golden and his division was doing great and so when his boss called him in for a meeting he was convinced this is going to be a promotion he was completely unprepared to hear the words that it's over bob you're fired completely unprepared and i have a feeling this this third servant was too and God doesn't want any of us to get to that day where we're taken by surprise. You start reading the account and you realize this third servant, he's starting to scramble, isn't he? I mean, I don't think he knows what's about to hit him. But he's scrambling, isn't he? He's saying, oh, look, look, master, you know. Look, I, I know that you're a hard man, a harsh man. It's, it's literally the word in the original that we get the word sclerosis, arterial sclerosis, hardening in the artery. He so says, I know you're, the, you're kind of a hard guy, and, and you gather stuff and investments from places where you haven't even invested. And, and I was afraid. And so what I did is I buried it because I didn't want to lose any of it, so I'm just happy to just give you back what you gave me. Full of excuses. And he ends up blaming his sloth and inactivity. Oh, granted, he had to get a shovel. He had to dig a hole. He had to cover it up and find a good safe place, which is common in that day. He, granted, he did that. But basically what he does is blame his passive inattention to that which was expected of the servants on the master. The reason he didn't do what he was supposed to do is because it's the master's fault because of who the master is now when you get down to verse 26 what you need to understand here is that it's not an admission of the master's character he's conceding here Jesus is not telling the story okay so you think I'm that kind of a master well let me ask you a question if you think that's the kind of master I am who's hard and who reaps where where he hasn't sown well then the least you should have done is throw it in the bank and gotten an interest on it and given me back the principle with interest but you didn't even do that He calls his bluff. And then what we have to do is realize that having heard the master's evaluation, he's undone because it's it's kind of rapid fire, wicked, lazy, worthless. And I have to say, what's surprising about the judgment is not that that the wicked person would receive weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is shorthand, for hell. We expect that, or a lot of us do, that if you're wicked and evil, like people who blow up buildings and and kill innocent people, that they deserve to go to hell. What's surprising is who is called wicked and who is called lazy and who is called worthless Here's what we've got to remember about this guy. He acknowledged that he was the master's servant. He didn't have any problem with that. He acknowledged that was his master. He acknowledged that what he'd been given belonged to him. He says as much in verse 25. Remember, he's called wicked not because he did something evil, but because he failed to do something good. He failed to take what had been given to him and invest it. He failed to do good. And he was duped into thinking, if I bury it and return it, it's good enough. And at the end of the day, what we realize is this guy not only did the wrong thing, but he did the wrong thing because he had the wrong understanding of who his master was. He didn't know who he was. He thought he was a hard-nosed guy. He he didn't understand that he was a gracious guy that would even give him the opportunity to take charge of part of his estate. He he didn't understand that he would be a gracious God to reward them with more. He didn't understand that he was offering way more than a part of the riches, but himself in a relationship. He didn't know the master. And one of the things we have to say is sometimes the reason we've got buried treasure in our life because we don't know who God is. We, we've bought the lie that, he, that he's not a good God, that there's no part of me wanting to do anything for this God because he doesn't love me, he's not good. And we end up burying and living for ourselves and not for him. So, so where do we go? with a teaching like this, as we kind of bring it home to our own lives, I think we start by saying this, that the teaching here that Jesus is giving us is whether we're a follower of him or not, that all that he's given us really is his, and it's to be used for his purposes. So whether we call ourselves a follower or not, because in a sense, the two the beginning servants are his followers, clearly. And the last one is a picture of one who thinks he's a follower, but he's really not. All of them have been given something. And so that means any of us here, all of us here, need to understand that whether it's time or money or our natural abilities or the relationships or our knowledge or our creativity, all that has been given to us by God, and it's for him. And for a lot of us here today who call ourselves Christ followers, we're we're aware of that, yeah, we got 168 hours a week. I I know a little bit about my bank account or what I don't have in my bank account. I've got a sense of that. I know about the relationships in my life. I I, I know that I've got this thing called the Bible and truth, and, and that's a part of what I'm supposed to be investing in other people's lives. But for a lot of us, we're completely ignorant about something the Bible talks a lot about, and that is that you have spiritual gifts. That when you trusted in Christ and became what the Bible says, a new person, and you got a new heart, and Christ sent his spirit to live in your heart, then when Christ's spirit came into your heart, he came bringing gifts, and these are these tools, tools that he wants you to put to work that would grow the kingdom as you seek to change a person's life for Christ. And the problem with buried treasure when it comes to spiritual gifts is some of us are completely ignorant about what is this treasure that I've buried? I don't even know. And that's what the Bible talks about. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1, Paul starts his whole three-chapter discussion on gifts. He says, brothers, and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant, unaware about spiritual things, primarily about your gifts. And that's why we teach about gifts here. And that's why if you're a follower of Christ and you don't know about spirit, your spiritual gifts, you've got to take that class. You've got to find out what are the ways that God has gifted me uniquely to build his kingdom. And so in your inserts, in your bulletins, there's an insert, and you can fill that out and sign up for that gifts class. We'll offer it a bunch of times this year, but there's one coming up in a couple of Wednesday nights. You you ought to know that back in the atrium every week, there's somebody back at the Together We Serve table that's going to try and help you identify your gifts and take your experience and how God shaped you to, to make a serving difference in somebody else's life. The scriptures are clear that each one of us, all of us who are followers of Christ, have at least received one gift. When I thought about the gifts and the needs, I thought with the staff, let's just put together a list. So take a look at this list. This is like the top 10 areas that we have needs as we go into a new ministry year. And as we seek to grow to be a congregation where more and more and more of us are serving, Here are some of the ways, not even all of the ways, but some of the ways that you should be considering using your time and your talents and your gifts in service to Christ and to others. You know, this, this story also tells us an important point, and that is that there, there is a day where God's going to ask a very simple question. He's going to say to me, Mark, what'd you do with what I gave you? What'd you do with yours? And, and the right answer isn't, I buried it, but it's okay, Lord. You know, I, I, I still have them. Here, I'll give them back to you. Wrong answer. We're going to be held accountable. Each one is to use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully, administering, stewarding God's grace in its various forms. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, And the faithful servant who loves Christ in obedience to his word multiplies, multiplies what God has given you in the lives of others. Now, I don't know if this message makes you uncomfortable. I am sure It made a lot of people uncomfortable when Jesus told the story, and I think Jesus wants us to feel uncomfortable in thinking that in any way we would be able to say, on one hand, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm ready to meet Christ and to stand before Him and give an account when He asks me. There's 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 this uncomfortableness with this whole thing. Am I prepared? He wants us, especially any of us who would say, well, I'm a follower of Christ, but we've just been sitting in the seats and we've been on the curve and we've been up in the stands and for a long time now, we've been spectators. And Jesus would want us to have this passage make us uncomfortable to get out of the stands and enjoy the thrill of being used in his game to make a difference. And then I think there's a whole another group of people. I mean, you're the guys that you're you're getting the charts out, you're reading the books, and you know, you have your devotions in Revelation, like every week, every day, you're in Revelation, you know, maybe a little part of Daniel, the end part of Matthew. You're just into you're into eschatology and end times teaching. And Jesus is saying, Would you stop about all the speculation? You can't know the day and the hour. You need to be about preparation. Your preparation. And, and, and there's a lot of other people that need to be prepared for that day. And make it your ambition to take as many people as you know with you to heaven. And then for anybody here who's saying, man, I'm tired. We've been doing this service thing a long time, huh, haven't we? I think it's time for the younger generation to do it. I think I'm going to retire now because I'm tired. And Jesus' teaching here is, is given us a warning that we don't retire. We're faithful to the end with what God has given us. It may look different today than it did 20 years ago, but we continually faithfully serve by His grace. Don't just heed the warning. Remember the reward. Well done. Good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. You know, the story of the Bible doesn't end with where this story Jesus told ends. It doesn't end with people who are unfaithful with what God has given them. People like you and me, the Bible says, who are rebels, and we've, been, we've rejected God and his rule and his ways, and we deserve to die, and, and that's what's going to happen. God's going to give us what we always wanted in life, to do life without him. And he'll let us do that forever. It's called hell. That's not where the Bible story ends. It says that's where we've begun as we've departed from God and put the throne on our own head and wanted to be king of our own lives. But then it says that God sent his son to be a different kind of a king. A king who would come and die in the place of people who rejected him and were guilty of treason against him. This one who, when he began his ministry and he was baptized, the Gospels tell us the heavens opened up and the Father spoke and identified who this Jesus was, this one from Nazareth. And here's what he said, it's my son. And I'm well pleased with this son. And when Jesus got on the cross, he, he uttered these words, it is finished, and he wasn't just saying, it's over, baby. My life's about to go. He was saying, the mission God has given me is accomplished. All the sins of the world have come on to me. I am absorbing the wrath of God for anyone who would look at me for forgiveness and mercy. And he says, when he said, into your hands I commit my spirit, he says, God, all that you've given me to do, I've accomplished it. He's the good and faithful servant. Be clear of this. We don't serve Faithfully to get God's approval. We have God's approval because Jesus served faithfully every day of his life. And our trust is in him. But if our trust is in him, then we have his spirit in us, and his spirit in us quickens us to take all that God has given us to join God in his great mission of expanding his rule in the hearts and lives of people. And we can't bury it anymore. We don't have an excuse anymore. Right now, this word of God is like that, that magnet, uh, mag, uh, what is it, a metal detector. You've seen the people on the, the beaches, right? And they got these wands, and I don't know if it's making noises or lights, something like that, and then all of a sudden they stop, right? And then they go down, and they start scooping around. They're looking for coins or whatever, buried treasure, right? Now, so God, God's word, like a metal detector, is going over my heart and going over your heart in our life, and it's sounding it's sounding buried treasure right there. It's something that we've buried. Maybe it's a bunch of time. It's buried under some meaningless habits of watching mindless TV. Maybe it's dollars that's been buried. They could have been used to do an eternal difference in somebody's life. But we've buried it under the pursuit of toys or whatever. Maybe there's a relationship that, that, that's buried treasure we, we haven't even thought about. It. We can walk across the room and reach out to this person and, and, and extend the love of Christ to them. Maybe that buried treasure is, is a bunch of spiritual gifts, unidentified things. We don't even know what they are right now. But Jesus says to us, dig it up, dig it up. Put it to use. Grow my kingdom share in my joy of seeing people's lives changed forever be ready for my well done and joy forever don't be surprised don't be undone with buried treasure let's pray God help us help us to be faithful Help us to know who you are. Help us to get it right. Somebody's not sure. They're hearing me say that you've revealed yourself as a good God, but they're not sure. Maybe it's experiences. Maybe it's teaching. They're not sure. Lord, don't let them miss who you are. Even as we come to the table and celebrate your son's death, May they remember that's the greatest, greatest, greatest act of love, the giving of your own Son who died that we might live. And Lord, we're just giving you permission. We we want to heed the warning of this text and we want to know what it's like to hear your well done. We want to hear whispers of it throughout each day this week and this year, individually and collectively. We, we don't want there to be buried things in our life that, that you've given us to better this world and to better other people's lives. And we don't want to be lazy and we don't want to be judged for failing to do good. So help us and grow us as a church. Grow us as a church and energize us as a church to serve you well until you come that we'd never be surprised we'd be ready to meet you and say look what you've given me here's five more here's 10 more here's 20 more help us to do that for your sake in christ's name amen